Open your Bible with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Focus. What is your focus worth? Here's some truths to catch us up. The Father is funding and supplying every believer in two ways. One, by opportunity. The Lord is giving you a supply by opportunity. He is bringing opportunities into your life. Malachi chapter 3 tells us specifically, windows of heaven are opening and opportunities are being poured out. So opportunity is one way that the Lord is supplying and fulfilling your life. The other way is through people, relationships. He is bringing people into your life. The Lord is always bringing new people, relationships into your life, and they are a part of your supply and a part of your success. So obviously, in that same realm, the devil, if he sees what brings God's blessing and supply to you, he's going to try to interrupt that supply. He's going to try to intervene in relationships and bring you to be offended at people and mad at people and why are they doing this and saying that and separate you from people that God wants to use in your life, both to speak into you, to help you in assisting you, and also to be a supply financially, and then for opportunities. He's always trying to get in front of you and the blessings of God, the rewards of the Word of God. So that's how the kingdom works, and that's how the devil works. So how the devil works is he brings delay, he brings distraction, he brings interruption to perfect opportunities and to godly relationships. And he does this through several ways. Sometimes he brings false priorities. He begins to make us major on the minors. Y'all ever majored on the minors? Chase something that you thought this was the greatest and the latest and come find out it was a dead end, that the Word of God was the only thing that really worked? People are always trying to find an alternate way to succeed because it seems like God's way costs too much or requires too much. But the Word of God tells us that God's way is the only way that really works. So the devil's trying to get between you and relationships, trying to get you to hook up with people that are a compromise in your life. They may have money or they may be powerful or they may have some sort of favor that you need, but you have to compromise in order to engage that relationship and bring them into your life. The Bible says not to be unequally yoked with those that are unbelievers. But you probably have, I know I have, I have done that. And you know, I have never had an instance where God's word was not right. And when you get unequally yoked with people, especially in marriage, in other places where you hook up with people that are not right, you pay. And the Lord will try to deliver you from those, and the devil will try to bring you to those. And also, when you try to compromise the Word of God concerning opportunities, trying to look and say, well, you know, I could pay off this, and I could have my business do this. I just have to take on a partner, or I have to engage this kind of relationship with people, and doggone, those opportunities will fail. They will prove to be poison in your life. So the devil is the author of that. He's subtle. He comes through ways that we're comfortable with, ways that God uses and tries to subvert us in that. There was two companies that were flourishing in the 1980s. You know both of them, I think. One of them is Benny and Smith. Benny and Smith is the great Crayola manufacturer. And actually, it's an old, old company. Been here since 1864. And Benny and Smith manufactures 3 billion crayons a year, which works out to 12 million colors a day. Whew, they're big. <laughs> since 1903, they have dominated the art supply business in many realms. In the late 70s and the 80s, a threat came to their business, and it was called the computer game industry. 
personal computers were just being launched. That was going to be a real threat to children buying Crayolas to color. There was another company that's not that old, but you would recognize it. It's called Coleco. And in the 60s, Coleco was the biggest manufacturer of above-ground pools in the world. They dominated the market solidly. An opportunity came likewise to them to get into the low-end computer and the computer game industry. Whereas Benny and Smith passed on that and would not go into that, Coleco did. And you probably remember way back about a little computer called ColecoVision. They went into that, and then it failed. They went into Cabbage Patch. It failed, and eventually Coleco went bankrupt. Now, the point of this is, is that Benny and Smith never compromised their focus. They never wavered from what they were good at. They never wavered at their purpose, their company agenda. They never got sidetracked from success trying to get into a realm that was not proven. Coleco, can you see the jump between above-ground swimming pools and computers? I don't. You can't make the jump there. It was a completely different area, and they failed. And Benny and Smith, since then, they weathered the computer industry thing that would have put them out of business, supposedly. People are buying Crayolas more than ever. Three billion of them a year, 12 million of them a day. So the point is, is that you got to keep your focus, and if you don't, you could lose everything trying to go another way. They stayed with their assignment, and it succeeded. Romans chapter 12, let me just read it to you. It says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's got a perfect will for your life. He's got a plan. He's got a blueprint. He's got it all mapped out. The Word says before you were a thought to your mother, the Lord assigned to you things that He wanted you to accomplish, and He was going to bring opportunities into your life all your life. He was going to open you up to things that you couldn't produce on your own. Third grade education, on the wrong side of the tracks, parents died at a young age, every bad thing that could happen, yet the Lord said, I'll sustain you and I'll keep you. There'll be opportunities, and I'll also put people in your life. People that would not normally come to you, I will put them through strategic times and put them in your life, and they will make up the gap and more. It'll be people, it'll be opportunities, but it'll be the Lord that's behind it all. So he's got this perfect will, and the devil has always been trying to break that bond between those people and that opportunity to keep you thinking that you had to strive, that you had to work, that you had to worry and be anxious, that you had to compromise God's word in order to get where your heart says you should be. But actually, we should just rest. We should relax in the Lord, and finally, we should focus. We should focus on him instead of being distracted by things that want to be. It's really just the devil and this world system trying to get us off the track that the Lord has for us. Obviously, in the track of the Lord, you're going to have to do some things that seem sacrificial, that seem like they're going to be hard at times, but it's to get you where you are disciplined inside, where you understand truth, where you can, having done all to stand, you just stand there for. They're not challenges to put you under, but they're challenges that'll put you over. 
And so a lot of times people, though, immature Christians, baby Christians, they just want to take the easiest way out, and they don't have those things in their life. And so when offenses come, when trouble comes, when things aren't working out, they don't have a root in themselves, and they bail. And we see that all the time. Well, the devil is the subverter of the Christian. He's the one that tries to accelerate that and put that in their lives. So I want to talk to you this morning about interruption, about what you're on track for, what God has set you for, and keeping it where you can stay steady. It says in Galatians chapter 6, let's look at this verse that tells about this. It's in verse 9. It, let's read it together. I'm in the King James. Do the best you can. Verse 9. Ready? Read. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Well, let's put it in first person. Let's put I in there. Ready? Read. And let me not be weary in well-doing, for in due season I shall reap if I faint not. That's important that you understand. That's a promise from God. He said, if you'll stay on track... If you'll disregard interruptions, if you'll keep a focus on the things of the Word of God, on the Spirit of God, the things that have brung you, you know, dance with who brung you. Stay on the Word of God, even though it may seem like it's not working. It may seem like you're going through hard times. It may seem like you're under assault. You're really, if you're on the Word of God, you've already been guaranteed safe passage, and there's a reward at the end for it. And it's not just you that's going through. You're taking people with you. People that are bailing in their minds, people that are jumping overboard in their head, they're watching you. And your faith and your consistency and your focus is encouraging them even though you may not even know about it. They're watching you to see if it works. They don't have the faith or the guts inside to say, I'm going to do it, but they're always looking at somebody saying, I'm going to see if they can make it and I'll follow them. Well, that's worthy. That's worthy of a Christian. To follow when you can and to lead when you can, but to always be going somewhere. Amen? So the devil, you can just see what the devil's job is. Since he has no real authority in the earth, he has no power in, in his realm, all he can do is subvert, interrupt, distract, and to get us off track. And that's what he tries to do. If you want to give a man that has a well-defined conviction in his life, a goal and a dream and a purpose, the only way to get him off of that is to offer him a goal or a purpose that is lesser, that has an urgency about it, and that will seemingly help people. So many times the devil comes in and says, you need to make a decision right now about this thing. And you're on track for something else. God's told you about it, but nothing is seemingly happening in that realm right now. Are y'all with me? But you're on track. You know what God's told you about your finances, about your ministry, about your life. You've got that in there, but it doesn't seem like anything's happening. But you're on track and you're focused. Well, the devil will come in and say, oh, no, 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 that's not working. That's not happening. You're way behind. You need to come over here and you need to get into this and they can really use you. And, you know, you'll just have to do it this way and that way. And it's a distraction. It's an interruption designed to get you off of the defined and focused goal that God's given you. Every time I've ever gotten off, that's how it happened, is I got off of what God told me, and I wanted to help him. Can you say Ishmael? <laughs> can you, we, we can just go there and say, Lord, this isn't happening on time. It must be this, and you jump in, and the this was not that. And so here you are. You have to fix and reload and rewind and go back, and the distraction proved to be very costly and very painful in your life. 
So the key here is to stay focused, to find out what you're supposed to be doing, what you're supposed to be having, what you're supposed to be in your life, and to stay focused. The flesh wants to run and go and do. The soul wants to see results now, but God's word never fails, and his promises are yes and amen to your life. I remember that I didn't even have the patience to finish uh, the university, was going to Texas Tech, had five semesters in my life, only needed three or four to graduate, would have had a degree in business, would have been set, had a rent-free house. I had my bride, I was married, had a little job in Lubbock, was making nothing but didn't take nothing, and we were just set. Yeah, I paid for a car, she got for graduation, we were just set. But I couldn't wait three more semesters, you know, like a year and a half, to graduate from an accredited and, and big university and went down and started farming. My dad tried to talk me out of it, but I thought, you know, he doesn't know anything. <laughs> he said, son, you can come later and it'll be fine. We'll be here. Got to go now, Dad. The thing was, is 1973 was the biggest prices for crops that had ever been known. Cotton was a dollar a pound almost. Nobody was going to have another poor day. I came unfocused. The next year, 1974, there was a crash in the agricultural community, and everybody that bought that high-priced stuff in 73 was eating it in 74, and I had no basis. You know, I was just a wage earner, and so... Help me, Jesus. Praise God. He did. So it's the goal of Satan to break the focus of your assignment. And that's what he's been doing. You've been going, what is this all about? It is his assignment to break your focus on your assignment. And so the things that have been happening are not arbitrary. They're not happenstance. They're not coincidental. They are a design strategy by the devil to get you off track. Now, some people don't have a track. They are just free spirits, and they don't have any clue where they are. So, you know, he doesn't have to work on them. They are self-destructing. Do you know those people? But other people are on track, and they know what God has said, and they have a place to go, and the devil has come. He tries to put distractions into your life to get you off of the true fight. He tries to get us into spiritual warfare when, in fact, the warfare is in our mind. He tries to get you where you're not focused when he knows that if you stay focused on the Word of God, nothing can stop you from succeeding. No devil in hell, no person, and no event can stop you from success if you don't become weary and well-doing, if you don't faint. Could I have a better amen? amen? It's the truth. The Word of God proves it. You can see historically where it happens all the time that people that stay on track, though they are slower, though their lives aren't necessarily as flamboyant, they always come out on top and ahead when the end is there. So the problem is, is that you can't live 1,000 years to prove these things out. You have to take the Word of God's uh, Word for it and just believe it at a young age, an inexperienced age, and just say, you know, I hadn't tried all this. I'm just going to believe God's Word and just go with it. If you're a hard head, then you're going to have to say, well, I don't know about that. I'm going to go try it like I did in 1973. You're just going to get lumps on your head from the fight that you shouldn't have engaged. The devil will try to assign you a goal assign you a purpose that seems exciting and that seems gratifying for the short term and get you distracted off the plan of God that he has for you and see if that'll work. In the middle of another masterpiece, Leonardo da Vinci laid down his brushes and oils to answer the knock at the door. There stood a neighbor who was having trouble with the water line at his house. 
He wondered if the great Leonardo, a genius who seemed to know something about everything, could take a look at it. The artist walked away from his easel, picked up his tools, and followed the distressed man home. We assume the pipes got repaired, but alas, to this day, that masterpiece stands unfinished. The power of the interruption. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Let me give you the key for defining your purpose and staying focused out of the Word of God, of course, out of the Word of God. You should be a Spirit-filled Christian this morning. If you do not speak in other tongues, if you cannot pray in the Spirit, then that is your goal. You don't have anything else important to do until you have that in your life. You must have a communication with God that is prolific, that is easy, that flows You are living a lesser life just by not having that virtue in your life if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. How do you get it? Well, you simply ask God to fill you the same way you ask God to save you. It is the same exact way, and it's just as easy, and it's just as sure. And once being filled with the Holy Ghost, you have a language, a code, as it were, with God that the devil is locked out of. And when you pray in the Spirit, the mysteries of God are unfolded, the plan of God is revealed, and the devil doesn't know about it until after it's already working in your life. So the great usurper is kicked out. The great distractor and the interrupter doesn't have a leg to stand on because the plans are made behind the scenes, and he can't have a part. Amen? Well, here the Word talks about that very thing in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That word infirmities is not sickness. It means weaknesses. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our weaknesses, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Now, the fact is, is if you can't pray in the Holy Ghost, your whole prayer life consists of your known mother tongue speaking out of your limited and finite mind. You may have a great mind, you may have a broad mind, you may have an intellectual mind, I hope you do. You may have a learned mind, an experienced mind, but the fact is, is that when you've prayed everything in your mind, whatever and however it is, you're done. All you can do is pick up a paper and pray somebody else's prayer that came out of their mind. But it's limited, it's small in the sense of knowing the future and setting your life up for success in the things of opportunities and relationships. Amen. So, we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I like that. How about you? According to the will of God. Do you know the whole will of God? Well, you know some things, but do you know the future about it? Not without the Holy Ghost. So he makes intercession. He prays out the plans of God. He prays out the future for you and I, and we get to partake of it. And down in our spirit, man, down in the part where we are like God, that thing begins to gel up and form, and the provision and the plan and the blueprint for your future comes together, and all of a sudden you're on track for a great life. Then it says, it goes on, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Hallelujah. To them who are the called according to his purpose. That's when that scripture works is after you pray in the Holy Ghost. You don't get the all things work together for good just by being born again. 
We know Christians, people that love God, that are saved, going to heaven, have terrible things happening to them. Why is that? Well, because they didn't pray out the plan and the devil distracted. The devil put them on a lesser goal, a lesser purpose, a lesser assignment. He came and interrupted the plan of God and they had no defense. They had no intercession in that realm and they were prey to his plans and had to take whatever the devil uh, brought them. Now, you can always come back and pray later, Lord, let's fix this mess. How many of y'all have ever prayed that? Lord, I, you know, I fell prey to it. I'm in this big mess. Lord, help me out. He does. But how much better would it be <laughs> to be on the front side and not to have that in your life? So those words there, work together, mean to cooperate. All things work together. Work together. Cooperate. It means to help. It means to finish. All things work together to finish. It means for good. It means excellence and happiness. Uh, them that love God. It's not just a casual loving God. Lord, I love you. No, it's the agape love. Lord, I love you from the inside. I love you with the love that you loved me with, that I'm born again with. All things work together for them who love God and who are the called. That word is appointed. Those that are called according to his purpose, his blueprint. So when we pray in the Holy Ghost family, we're on track. Now, you pray, and you don't know what you prayed unless you get the interpretation, and he'll do that for you and let you in on it. But it doesn't matter. You've sent the plans in to corporate, and corporate is building the instruments, the rendezvous with relationships and opportunities that are designed to come into your life and help you go around trouble and help you into the blessings that he's planned for you. Those things happen in that praying in the Holy Ghost. Well, now, what if you were filled with the Holy Ghost and could pray in tongues, but didn't pray in tongues? Just skip that part of your life. Just said, well, whatever. Well, you're missing out on it in the same way someone that can't. It doesn't work just because you can. It works because you do. So we should, shouldn't we? We should spend part of every day praying out the plan of God. Because what have you got more important going on in your life than the plan of God? Do you think the plan of this world is good, that you ought to, you know, skip that and, and rush into the plan of this world? It's cursed. It's damned. It's not working. We ought to get up and say, Lord, I'm going to get your plan and avoid those things and avoid those troubles and that heartache and that suffering and all that stuff. We ought to. I said we ought to do it better. You ought to pray in the Holy Ghost and avoid the interruptions, the distractions, and the offenses that come from carnal Christians that don't know. Praying in the Holy Ghost puts us on God's timing. Let me read this to you. This is interesting. Samuel Taylor Coleridge is said to have had gifts rivaling Shakespeare. On one occasion in the summer of 1797, Coleridge awakened from sleep with a lengthy poem filling his mind. The verses already worked out. He merely needed to write it down. Before the poem could slip away, he quickly began writing down each line. But then there came a knock at the door. Later in his notes, he refers to his visitor as a man from Porlock and gives no clue as to why he came or what took place. He returned to the poem an hour later only to find that while he still retained a vague recollection of the vision, the rest had vanished like the morning mist. The work now is Coleridge's Kubla Khan. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to me, but apparently it could have been more. How many of y'all know there's things in our lives that could have been more, should have been more? Just the things I know of that I know now that got interrupted, like my career back then, where I should have stayed in school. Now, the Lord worked it around. He does work it around. He does work it around. 
and it came out to a good end. You're not doomed for all your life, but there was certainly momentum lost, certainly potential was lost and compromised, and certainly opportunities and relationships that never could form at the right place had to be delayed or had to be put off. Well, there's nothing you can do about crazy youth, except repent of it maybe or whatever. When you're young and crazy, you're just young and crazy. That's why we have youth group here. That's why we endeavor to put things in so that this generation doesn't do what our generation did. Y'all that are parents. That we can skip some of the crazy because it's not automatic. You don't have to go there. Interruptions. There's three kinds. There's the kind that enforce the goodwill of God in his timing. That's when God interrupts your busy life, your routine life. And he says, hey, it's me. I got to tell you. He interrupts. Y'all know about that kind? A lot of times that happens when you're praying in the Holy Ghost. God interrupts. He comes in. So a lot of times that happens when you're going down the wrong path. God will jump in and say, this isn't going to get it. The second kind of interruption causes premature and unformed elements to come into your life before their time. In other words, they come before they're ready to come, and you don't know the difference. Now, that's probably what happened to me in 1973 is probably I needed to finish school, hello. And because eventually I did get my degree, it took me 19 years to get my degree before the Lord let me come back and get my degree. I was 1990 before I got my degree. I graduated from high school in 71. Hallelujah. But I got it and didn't need it in between, but nevertheless. So these things bring the will of God, perhaps, into our lives, and they're unformed. They're immature. They're not ready to be engaged. But they interrupt, and we take them like, I don't know what that is. The third kind of interruption is just attempts by the devil just to derail the purposes of God in your life. They're just flat old lies that he comes in and dresses up and says, you ought to think about this. And if there's any lust in you, if there's any greed in you, if there's any motives that are not right in your soul, you'll entertain those and say, well, you know, this could be the will of God. Worldly interruptions, I decided are known mostly by their urgency. The difference between God's interruptions and the world's interruptions is that the world says, now, we gotta do it now. You ever had that salesman? Now, God love you if you're a salesman, but the door-to-door salesman puts their foot in the door and says, you gotta buy them now because tomorrow I bought a set of encyclopedias from a a salesman and we didn't even have kids. We were buying encyclopedias for kids that we didn't even have. There was no bun in the oven or anything. I mean, we are, uh, and I had to go down in Seagrays, and, you know, there's just 16 streets in the whole town, so it wasn't that hard to find him and, you know, disengage that contract. But, you know, when he was there, he was selling us encyclopedias, and he was good, and I was bad. Hallelujah. So it was an interruption in my life for 700 and something dollars that, you know, was out of time. Interruptions like that. Remember David Horton's, Doc Horton's a a great Rhema teacher, Doc and Jerry Horton. But it's told that how Doc was in the living room with his son and had a heart attack and fell on the floor, dead, graveyard dead, no life at all. And Jerry was in the kitchen washing dishes. David called to his mother and said, Mama, Daddy is dead. Well, and you know, everybody in here would take immediate action. But she stayed focused. She says, not now. And she finished washing dishes. She didn't hurry. She got through washing dishes, got the cup towel folded up and went in there, 
looked down at Doc and saw that he was dead. Reached down and grabbed him and said, Doc Horton, you are not leaving me here in this life with this ministry and this family. I command you in the name of Jesus to come back to life now. And he did. And he's still going strong now. I find the interruptions by God are not urgent. You know, if someone needs raising from the dead, if they're dead, they're dead, and everything's got to be done supernaturally anyway, it really doesn't matter if it's in 12 seconds or in five minutes. It's after five minutes, you know, they're already brain dead. You've got to have a resurrection from the dead in every realm. It doesn't matter. Well, it's the same way financially. It's the same way in every realm. There's not ever as much hurry on God's interruptions as there are on the world. And the devil will tell you, you've got to do this now. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Y'all getting anything out of this? Let's look at how Jesus handled interruptions. Verse 32, early in the gospel here, you know, chapter 1, things were just getting started. Verse 32, and that even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. Have you ever seen that scripture before? All the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases and cast out many devils. You know, divers just means various. If you're always wondering if it's some sort of water event, no, it just means various in the Elizabethan. He healed many that were sick of divers' diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And in the morning... Rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now, family, prayer is the power that the people were drawing from. What he got in prayer from Father was what he ministered from. It wasn't like he just prayed to go out there and do his daily do. If he didn't pray, and if you don't pray, you don't have anything to give. Y'all say amen. It wasn't a thing where it says, well, we don't have time to gas up the car, we got to go to Philadelphia this afternoon, and we are in a hurry. We don't have time to get fuel. Get in, and let's go. You'd think that's crazy about Chattanooga. (laughs) You're going to have to stop and do something. It's the same thing with prayer, and Jesus knew it, that they had all, the city had been there, and there was yet another event that was going on. He had to fill up, and he went out early to fill up. Verse 36, and they that were with him followed after him, and when they had found him, they said unto him, all men... Seek for thee. Another busy day. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. You need to know that Jesus guarded his calling. He guarded his purpose. And even though there was needs that were unmet, he stayed on track. He remained focused. The interruption didn't put him off. Now, family, I'm guilty of this. I know you're guilty of this. We're all guilty of this of letting things in the physical realm, responsibilities, even important things, get us interrupted and lose our focus for the Word, for prayer, for church, for relationships, all these things. They're important. They're needful. But Jesus Christ left this earth with many, many people that did not get their need met, and many, many people, many, many things that were undone, but he fulfilled his purpose. His purpose was not to meet every need in the world. He met every need that came to him and said, Master, meet my need. He met every need. He never turned anybody away that came to him personally. But he was not called to not leave this earth until every need was met and it was done. He 
fulfilled the purpose of God to go to the next town and preach this gospel. Now, you have a calling and an assignment on your life. I mean, sometimes the dishes will just have to be dirty all morning long. Sometimes the phone will just have to ring off the wall. Sometimes you just can't go to every appointment or make every party. Sometimes interruptions are from the devil, and you have to put them off in order to fulfill the purpose of your life. Are you listening to me? You can't get to all of it. Matter of fact, you could develop a life if you're friendly, if you're easy to get along with, like all Christians should be and usually are, that everybody wants a piece of you. Everybody wants to be your friend. Everybody wants to come over and visit or pray or do with you, and you cannot if that's not your calling. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 5. You're right there. This is the story of Jairus who came to Jesus and interrupted him in verse 21. He had just got out of a ship. In verse 22, Jairus came to him, fell at his feet, and beseeched him to come to his house and heal his daughter who was at the point of death. And so Jesus said, I will. And you know the story that the woman with the issue of blood came, and she interrupted Jesus going to Jairus' house. And, of course, she got healed, but Jairus then was confronted with his servants who came and said, no need to bother because the delay, the interruption, the distraction cost you your daughter. That's how they put it when they saw what was going on. Jesus was en route. He didn't turn him down. He was coming, but it didn't turn out like Jairus wanted. But I want you to notice there that immediately in verse 36 that Jesus said unto him, he said, be not afraid, only believe. He turned from changing a sick girl, bringing her back to health, a miracle of actually raising her from the dead, which was a greater miracle. And if you have the ability to raise somebody from the dead, what's the hurry? I said you can go and do what you need to do if you have all power and authority in this realm. There's no hurry. You go, well, you know, after five minutes and they don't breathe, they're going to be brain dead. You know, resurrection from the dead is not really dependent upon that. There's been people that have been in coffins, been in the cooler, toe tag, you know, the next day or the next day. We have Lazarus, for example, who stinketh. And so if you're going to stinketh or if you're going to be three and a half minutes without breathing, it really doesn't matter because you got the power to fix it all anyway. Jesus, the interruption, didn't bother him. Matter of fact, he ministered according to his purpose. Now, here's the key. You've got to find out what your purpose is, and you can't do it without praying in the Holy Ghost. How are you going to know? You're going to get a message, an angel going to come through the doors, it's going to be scrawled on the wall, your purpose in life. It's, it's all text out there. No, you're going to have to pray it out in the Holy Ghost. If you don't, and you don't know your purpose, then you're going to be that proverbial pinball that just goes from spring to spring in the machine until finally at the end of your life you come down the middle slot and game over. And you won't know if you did the will of God or not. You just ran out of time and ran out of energy. I want to fulfill my course, run my race, and all that sort of stuff. How about you? Hallelujah. Amen. In John chapter 12, in verse 20, Jesus is having great success, you understand. He's getting people healed. They all want to come to him. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came before, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. So here's some important men, and the context there is, is they had a great ability to support the ministry. And, of course, the disciples were real interested in getting the ministry supported. Verse 22, Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. 
what they tell him? Jesus, there's some men out there that could help us. They want to talk to you, and they're ready right now. This would be a good time to go out and meet them. And what did Jesus say? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. How many of y'all think that that's probably not in context to what the question was? It was a really strange answer. But Jesus pointed to the word of God. He pointed back to his life and said, here is who I, here is, this is who I am, and therefore this is what I will do. And he refused to be distracted. He was talking about himself, the corn of wheat falling to the ground and being raised up. He stayed true to his purpose. In Matthew chapter 26, 26, 36, Jesus with them came into a place called Gethsemane and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he came unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What could you not tarry with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Here it is. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So God's got a thing inside of you right now where you're willing to do the will of God. You're willing to live above distraction. You're willing to stay focused. But you're going to have to be able to say no to some people. You're going to have to deny the flesh. You know, what we need to do as Christians, as believers, in order to fulfill the will of God, basically is simple. We just have to say no. We like it because it strokes us for people to ask us to do things or come or go, and we like to be included. We like to know that they care about having us, that we're important, that our company is desired. What we have to offer is something that they need. It is very gratifying in so many ways to be included in as many groups as possible and for people to want us to be with them and to be in their lives. But simply said, you can't fulfill the will of God and do it. You've got to find out from God who you're supposed to be with, not who wants you to be with them. And you've got to say no. And sometimes even among your true blue and your best friends and even those that love God, they can miss it. You've got to know, I can't do it. And you just have to say no. I can say no. Say it with me. I can say no. In the Holy Ghost, you can say no. You never know what you're saving yourself for when you say no. All the time, the devil's trying to bring you a lesser activity, a lesser engagement of your faith, a lesser occupying of your soul and time, a lesser demanding of your emotions to try to bleed you off so you're not available for what the Lord has for you down the road. You have to save yourself for God. I'm bought with a price and not my own. I can't go to everything and do everything. It's really difficult. It's challenging in churches for pastors because people just think, well, he's the hired hand and you know, if I need him, that's what we pay him for. So call him up, and if he doesn't come, well, we're going to think second about him again. So God's going to have you change your priorities. He's going to have you find your purpose, and no is going to be a word that you start using like you've never used before. And then you have to be able to say yes. The Bible says in Matthew 25 that you have to be easily persuaded to believe. That when the Lord asks you to do something, and you're doing something else, and he interrupts, that we just drop what we're doing and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm on that. What I was doing was just doing until you called. I'm on that, Lord, and whatever you need, whatever you want me to do, 
That'll be just fine with me. You got to say yes to the Lord and say no to this world. Interruptions can be good if they're from the Lord. The way you know them is because they're not demanding. The Lord comes to you in plenty of time. Many times I have known that he came to me way in advance of something that he wanted me to do. He gave me time to work it out. If I had to know that afternoon, I was going to make the wrong decision. Do you all know what I'm talking about? So, you know, it's like, Lord, I need to take time and work this out. And by the time I got it worked out, it was the perfect timing that he wanted me to be there. He gives you enough time. So don't be pressured. When the pastor calls you and say, I need you to do this, you can pretty much know that that's the will of God, but you've got to have a witness down in here. But say yes to God. Don't consider, well, our party time and our soul time and our family time. People sometimes have told us, he says, you know, we'd like to come to church, but Wednesday is family time. You know, that doesn't fly with God. I said, that's not the way he works. You may not come to Wednesday, and you may want to tell me or somebody why you don't come to Wednesday, but don't say, God says it's family time and we don't come. You got to get your priorities right. Here's the truth. You got to believe that when you pray in the Holy Ghost, that all things are going to work together for good, that God's got a blueprint for you and it cannot fail. You got to believe that there's a purpose for your life and that God wants you to know that purpose and engage that purpose for your life. You've got to determine that you're going to do something about the purpose that God's put in your life. You're going to reject it or you're going to engage it. And if you engage it, that there's going to be some things he's going to come to you and say, I need you for this or that. You've got to put on boldness to say no. You've got to put on faith to say yes to opportunities and people. Many times I've made friends with people that I didn't really have that big of a deal with my personality with them, but I knew it was God. On the other hand, I have cut some relationships. You just fade off because you know that either what you had from them, you got it or you gave it, and it's time to move on. So you got to be bold and you got to have faith. I'm focused. I said, I'm focused. I'm bought with a price and not my own, so therefore I'm focused on the Lord. He's got a plan for your life, but you're going to have to focus. It means you're going to have to cut some things off. It means you're going to have to determine what interruptions are from God and what there are from the devil and say no. Now to your own heart, now to your own mouth. Let's just open our hearts and say, Lord, I'm going to change how I live my life. I'm going to begin to focus on the things that are heavenly, that are Godward, and I'm going to put away and put aside the things that are worldly and unprofitable. Father, we give.